G'day everyone, welcome back to Talking Leadership. This is Eric Perez and as always, thank you for following the podcast. So by way of introduction, my guest today who is uh, listed as a speaker, facilitator, mentor and hopefully award-winning top five in the world author. Um, we can talk about that uh, through the podcast as we go along. Can I welcome to the podcast, Mike House. How are you, mate? I'm well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for the invite. Mate, thank you for coming along. So before I get into the first theme and because this is uh, hot off the presses you've just published a, a book entitled unshakable more than resilience can i get you in 200 words or less to give us a bit of an overview of why you penned the book mate yes yeah, so i think thanks for the question the book's really recognizing that one of the big challenges for leaders is that we face moments of impact so they're, they're anything that come that can come along and disturb our equilibrium or our direction and they can be short or long term so we, we're still in the middle of COVID, which is a long-term and widespread moment of impact, but it could be a, a more personal one too. And it's really acknowledging that we are shakeable, but with the right kind of tactics, we can build a sense of certainty within ourselves and within teams and within organisations rather than having to look to external circumstances for that. Do you think by and large, the majority of our businesses and, and industry leaders have adopted or adapted well to what COVID-19 threw up or was it a curveball for everyone in the in the world of work? Just from your perspective, Mike, of course. Yeah, so, you know, I interviewed a number of leaders and experts around the country and internationally for the book and I didn't speak to anyone where there wasn't some sort of impact and, and being taken by surprise and that's the nature of these kinds of situations. You know, a moment of impact by definition, we're not expecting it. It's not like you or I are sitting here anticipating the next thing that will come along and rattle our cage. If we were, it wouldn't be a surprise and it probably wouldn't have much impact. What I saw was organisations and leaders adapting very, very quickly and and mostly very effectively. I think there's a looming issue now in both mental health. There's you know been some challenges I think for many people in the in the wash up of that and transitioning out of working from home back to working in offices and things like that. So at an individual level, we've we've got some challenges coming our way there. And then at an organisational level, I think we inadvertently used up a bit of runway in the COVID times where we were kind of launching off pre-established relationships and ways of working and we've, we've probably burned a bit of that collateral. So I think there's going to be a need to bring teams back together really consciously and, and to rebuild a bit of that. For those that are following LinkedIn or other business platforms where people are talking, you, you can't get away from the discussion around what it means for how work is organized, um, how people view the value of their work, how organizations view those people and how they view the mobility of people in, in positions because I've, I've read a couple of things and I can't remember the, the source material, so I apologize for this, but there, there's a growing trend that people have di discovered that they could be productive in a workplace but uh, would like to work more from home if they could and that flexibility in jobs only has come up through COVID-19 because the circumstances forced some businesses to do that it wasn't done uh, for the sake of the well-being not necessarily long term of of the employees it was a reaction to the environment and now that this is more about people in work not responding to the calamity at the start I think it's going to raise a lot more thorny issues as we go on does that does that ring true for you mate? Yeah, look, I think so. We all, at an individual 
family level and business level made a lot of adjustments on the fly and working from home was one of those where you know we've just got to find a functional solution to this you know you can't afford just to shut down and give up kind of thing it's been the same with IT there's a lot of organizations I've spoken to that have rolled out quite substantial IT programs and changes that have basically helped them to stay in business and stay connected to their teams but a lot of that's been done very very reactively so I think you know part of the work that's to be done now is backfilling that and thinking you know if we were actually choosing this as a way of working how would we structure it what would it look like how do we answer you know there's a couple of commentators in western australia here that have made some really interesting points about things like insurance and you know the cost of running your home office and how does that you know who wears that and how and how do you equip it and you know cyber security and all sorts of stuff that get that arises from people working remotely and they're all things that can be solved we didn't think about them in a whole heap of detail when we when covid unleashed it was just like right we've got to get this done um and i think that's some of the work that we'll see in this next kind of year i think some of that stuff will be a bit more closely examined and embedded in a little bit more thoroughly yeah mate appreciate your thoughts on that and i, I think uh just just to end this so we can get on to uh the podcast and talk about you not about covid is i think it's it's incredible how much the survival instinct kicks in and then you worry about the detail um after so keeping the place your business afloat and keeping people in employment was the priority and that's necessarily a good thing but then all of the uh, operational issues that you talked about, particularly security of, of information and who wears what costs, they're things that, again, these discussions weren't probably being had to the extent that they're being had now uh, pre-COVID-19. So I think it's thrown up a whole lot of issues that um, are going to be here long-term. And I, I reckon for those that are going to be historians of what what's happened over the last few years, the, the amount of topics around what COVID-19 has meant is, is going to mean a whole lot of movies and books and other things written about how we dealt with how everyone dealt with this thing. And it's going to be interesting how people react because it's drawing on real life to come up with some narratives and uh, hopefully doesn't delve into the world of fiction about how we've responded because the black and white of this is not there. It's a whole lot of gray and people, some people, and I can put myself in that working constantly in that gray area is uh, not comfortable. Um, People like blacks and whites and and finality to things. And unfortunately there is no finality to this. So yeah, that, uh, that appetite for change, whether you like it or not, is here to stay for a little while, particularly around that issue. So, all right, mate, let's move into the reason we're here to have this discussion. And this is about you. So let's start off where I typically start off with the podcast, mate, and ask about uh, thinking around leadership and its beginnings for you. Um, wh- where can you take us for that in terms of yourself, mate? So without realising it, I think I was exploring leadership uh, from a really early age. I grew up in the bush and can remember having city kids coming down to the farm for period, like school holiday periods and things like that. And we had a big 10,000 acre a-class reserve bordering our property and we'd go for long walks in there and I can remember a number of times being surprised at the anxiety that that provoked for people that hadn't been in the bush before you know it's just two or three of us walking well away from anything that was marked or built so my earliest sort of recollections of leading intentionally although that's not how I viewed it back then were, were helping them to stay calm and you know giving them some idea of where we were and how we were getting out of there and and then some of the earliest intentional leadership 
lessons that I learned were working on farms as well. I, I had a absolutely awesome boss early on down there who he, he was just very, very good at walking that line between direct supervision and giving you plenty of latitude to, to have a go and, and to see how you went. And also very, very good at building trust and rapport and a sense of what's expected and how's that to be delivered so that it created a very, very firm platform of operation where you just, you, you knew where you stood, you knew what was expected of you, you knew what was, what had been effectively delegated, there was no sort of muddiness around any of that and you could just basically crack on and I realised years later that that was that was actually a real talent that he had there's not many leaders who are able to convey that level of clarity there's often particularly around issues like delegation there's there's so much muddiness and you know in my work now I see over and over again people delegating stuff and then taking it back in some sort of form and usually it's because the expectations haven't been really clearly set and so inevitably the person that's trying to do the job disappoints the person that's handed it over and and the tempting thing to do is jump back in and take the reins again so that was a real gift back then to to see that modeled when I was just you know a a late teenager early 20s and it's it's really only been probably the last 10 to 15 years that I've consciously recognized just how good a gift that was back then. Yeah, I was I was going to say one one thing that um and and thank you for that response. The thing that resonated in that for those of us who weren't born and raised in the bush, it's the first time you go to a setting like that out of a city. Yeah, it can be unsettling. My first first exposure to what rural and remote actually meant was uh, when I was working with the local government association here in Queensland. I went to Cookshire and we did uh, the run in the Gulf up to. Uh, Thursday Island and you you want a sense of not built up city and complete uh, not desolation's not the right word but just mm. isolation isolation yeah that's the mm. that's the word it really does get to you and and you don't realize I guess some city people and I'll put myself in that category you don't realize how much is built around you for certain comforts and to take your mind off that when you go to rural and remote regions, it's not like that. It's more about being in the moment there and it, it can be quite a trippy thing. So I'm not surprised you had people very uncomfortable walking around for what kilometres in one direction and, and seeing no other human beings or, yeah. or objects of a civilization as a city folk might um, might mark them. And, and that I think that's not a bad thing to get you out of your own headspace and to think about how the other lives because in, in some of the work that I do that's not related to the podcasting um, you've got to put yourself in the well I have to put myself in the headspace of mm. those working in rural remote and regional parts of the coast and that's got to factor into how you advocate for people mm. working in those uh, settings because it's it's not as simple as starting the car driving 5ks and you're at your place of work it's not it's not that mm. and until you've actually lived it you can't make not not that you can't i think it's difficult to make that connection so um yeah definitely definitely that resonated with me i I hope those people that those young people that went out with you have continued to value what it is to have rural and remote areas because in some ways you don't want them to be like um urban centers they they need to be like that for a reason and uh, i think there's some value in that anyway let me ask you the next question mate and this is around a couple of distinctions if you think there is a distinction Mm. between leadership and management is is there a 
Is there a cutoff line there for you? Are they morphed together or something different? Look, I think they definitely blend, Eric. There's places where they overlap. But for me, the distinction is pretty clear. So I think leadership is really about people and management is about tasks or um, transactions. There's no business on the planet that can operate without exchanging some kind of value in exchange for other value. So, you know, we've got to we've got to build something, make something, offer a service. That that has to happen. And the role of management is really about the the looking after of that. So, you know, do the books balance, are the are the targets being hit, are the goals realistic, are the people sort of in the right place at the right time doing what they're meant to do. The leadership side of things I think is a little bit of a bigger picture so it's more it's more about the people so how do they feel how well can they operate together we were talking a little bit before about certainty so i think the part of the role of leaders is providing that kind of clarity of direction and a, a stable base of operation so management's really about do leadership i think is about be you know who are we how do we how do we operate together what what are we or what do we need to become in order to be able to do the um, the transactional stuff that the business is there for really really well it's a very clear distinction but let me throw a grenade in the in the room and see, see, for see if you can dodge this one are you more of an effective leader if you've had experience in the operational managerial side of a business? Yeah, great question. So I think there's probably two layers to that. There's specific experience in the in the specific business that you're in and or there's more more sort of general experience in business as a whole. I think that there is a time and a place for leaders who don't have any direct experience in the actual industry or sector. I've seen a couple of interesting situations where people have actually been deliberately put into leadership roles from outside of the sector. And part of the part of the benefit of that is you've kind of got fresh eyes. It takes a special kind of leader, I think, to do that well, because you have to be able to put your ego aside. It, it almost by necessity puts you in a position where you don't really know what you're doing and you're reliant on the people around you to provide that bit. So you've got to be able to ask lots of really good questions and and to honour the expertise of the people around you. But you've also got to be able to pass out what makes sense from them because, you know, they can equally pull the wool over your eyes because you know nothing and lead you down down unhelpful roads. So I think some, at least knowledge, if not direct experience, is is useful and there are people who can build that very, very quickly. You know, I've, I've worked with a couple of people who are, say uh, marketing and communication specialist so they've got deep experience there and they can go into almost any sector and very very quickly get a handle on where the where the points of leverage are for marketing effort and and they can do that super fast with zero from a zero start there's other people that have had deep 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 experience in a sector for their entire life and lead it really really brilliantly and um you know, a really good example of that, I think, is uh, one of the people I admire, Ray, Ray Dalio, who runs the Bridgewater Fund in the US, who, you know, started that thing out of his 
dorm room when he was a uni student and uh, and built it up to one of the biggest managed funds in the world if not the biggest and has done a brilliant job of sort of codifying how he thinks so that he can hand that on to people that work in the business you know that that's a great example of someone that's been right from the ground level all the way through the business to now leading a, a substantially sized organization both in terms of the capital it commands but also the the number of people involved one thing around the leadership management dynamic and you've touched on it and and others have on this podcast as well is that it's more a continuum where at one end you're leading and at the other end you're managing and you could actually maybe call it we're, we're all leaders to one degree or another or another we're just asked to activate those knowledge skills and abilities around that depending on where you fall on that continuum particular role and I, I reckon there's there's something to be said for the industry context in which you operate can be a big deal around the leadership management split because if you're in industries let's say engineering or IT where there are big numbers of people and you've got to lead teams and you've got to do that at that managerial level you have to display certain leadership uh, capabilities to make those teams function because mm. the leaders obviously if you're working with hundreds of people you can't lead them all in one go and so you're relying on your manage managers almost as an extension of your leadership capabilities to do the same with their teams to achieve certain outcomes and i think there's a lot of you said before letting go of ego definitely from the leader to allow and give some some wriggle room for managers to act as leaders because they're going to have to do both those things and offline we talked about COVID and we did at the start of this podcast and I think that's going to demonstrate who are the more effective leaders through their response to a crisis situation now are uh, the I guess the unique thing about COVID if there's anything unique about it other than that it's becoming an annoyance to live on a daily basis for everybody is that from a business perspective I think we all got hit at the same time and we can all be given a, a pass for how you reacted to it it's the longer term adaptation to that that's going to parcel out who's effective and who's not. That's only my one perspective. And if, if you're a follower of LinkedIn, COVID-19 is a, is a key topic and it, it's trending all the time, but not from a health perspective, from a definitely from a business management perspective. And why I brought this up is trying to segue into the next theme for you here, Mike. I've called it the, the lonely road of leadership. And the reason I put mm. that in there is that when I was thinking about this, when I first started thinking about leadership in my postgraduate studies, and now as I've talked to individuals and, and asked them to, to think about that particular topic, I reckon it's as lonely as you want to make it. But at times, it's all about the leader to make a final decision that at some point you're a leader and or you've been promoted to leadership or you've started your own business as an entrepreneur essentially the buck stops with you and sometimes decisions yeah. have to be yours and you have to own them do you think it's as lonely a road as you make it or is it that way because of the nature of, of what leadership is uh look i think there's it's a bit of both in my mind eric so i think there's definitely elements of leadership their burdens born, born particularly by the leader and you gave a couple of great examples there in you know sometimes you've got to make a tough call and it's down to you and you know they're especially in situations where they're complex and high consequence calls you know the there's significant financial results riding on them or the or, or the futures you know job security and things like that of people riding on them and those decisions you know if you're if you're in a formal leadership 
role, then you uh, you've basically got to make those calls. There's times where where that is your job, and inevitably you're making those calls with limited information. You know, even in hindsight, sometimes you haven't got all the information, and <laughs> certainly at the time, things when decisions of that magnitude are being made, it's often because the environment's moving very very quickly, and if you just sit still, you're going to get taken out. So, you, so you make calls that may or may not end up being with the with the wonder of hindsight may or may not end up being that good and and they do sit entirely with you i've i've only met a few leaders that genuinely and explicitly state that so i worked with a fantastic ceo once who was very very good at at clearly calling out when that sort of decision was on the table and you know she would say look i've heard all of your points of view and um, i've taken them into account and here's my decision some of you won't like it but, but I've got to make a call. This is what it is. So now we've got to execute on that. And, and you know, if you want to be upset with somebody, be upset with me. And I thought, wow, that's uh, that's pretty broad set of shoulders to call it out that explicitly. So I think there's parts of the parts of the burden that are really acutely felt by leaders and it's really only people in those roles that that can genuinely understand that like people outside it can empathize with it but it's it's pretty different actually being in those seats as far as loneliness i think that's quite a separate issue and historically there was that very sort of um particularly in British-based culture, that sort of sense of leadership being several steps removed from the other ranks kind of thing, you know. Uh, One of my great-grandfathers was involved in some early exploration in Australia and his diaries frequently refer to, you know, three or four people that were clearly of note and some men. Um, so there, there's these three or four named by by name and then and some men. And you, you look at uh, the detail of the logistics of the operation they were running and some men were probably 50 or 60 blokes you know they, it was a huge company of people but there's that sort of hierarchical and rank and culture and class separation between them that was that was really clear back then at the sort of turn of last century that's dissipated a whole lot and thank goodness for that but I think there are some leaders who still choose to hold themselves quite separate from people and who view sort of engaging at a really deep and empathetic level with the people that they lead as too vulnerable and too risky and look there's definitely risks in there you know I think uh, Brené Brown says a lot about vulnerability and how pretty much any time you put yourself in a vulnerable position someone could take advantage of that but the benefits of it I think are much greater than the potential risks and if you operate in that way with deep empathy and connection with the people that you lead then it can't possibly be lonely there'll be lonely burdens to bear but they'll think that's a very different issue measuring success now i asked this uh initially some some podcast guests and some listeners sort of drew my attention to well they're going to say KPIs or it's going to be something monetary. Why I ask about measuring success is I, th- I think it's a whole lot more than just that. And that's my that's my perspective for, for me. And this has been, I guess, it supports a bias of mine that mm. you're going to get to the kinds of roles that some of us have as leaders that your success measure has to be how how you bring up the next generation of people in your business and how you help them develop their leadership capabilities. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that any one leader is going to help you be the best leader you can be. Because mm. I, I reckon for me, uh, and this is only a personal observation, I've become better at that craft of leadership myself 
by learning from others and asking others to uh, give of their their thinking as open and honestly as they can and then to ask them about their own stuff up and how they fix those versus ones that I've been at the center of and how I dealt with them. And for me, it's a very uh, a community-minded way of learning as opposed to learning on your own because I, I don't think with how, how connected we are as people, you can escape that. So getting back to the question uh, for you, Mike House, what are your measures of, of success? So for me personally, there, there are a few and they kind of move around a little bit in terms of their order of importance. I don't hold any of them especially higher than the others. I think they've got to be in balance and that means that sometimes there's focus on, on some more than others. Uh, so for me, a fairly significant measure of success is my relationship with my wife. I've, I've been married nearly 26 years and uh, I think that if you can, I've seen and met a lot of people who have extremely successful businesses and they've basically blitzed their marriage along the way and, you know, they're either in a very unhappy one or it's ended long ago um, and sometimes they're on, on their sort of second or third lap around that. So for me, I think that's one big measure of success is, is uh, being able to sustain a, a healthy and happy relationship that's not within the business. Uh, there's obviously business success as in KPIs and dollars and all of that. And um, for me, that's actually something that I've come relatively late to. I spent a lot of my history in human services organisations and it's a you know comparatively recent journey to be operating my own business and you know, I'm, I'm quite driven in that area now. And, you know, from my point of view, I guess it's, it, there's a, there's an element of why would you want to waste your time? You know, if, you, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it to the greatest possible success that you can manage in a sustainable way. And then the last part is the impact that I have both in my business is obviously focused on building leadership capacity. And so for me, the monetary success comes directly from am I doing that well am I building the capacity of myself and others around me uh, to lead better and particularly to lead in uncertain environments and that one's a little bit interesting because you you don't necessarily have a very tangible view of it there's there's times and places where you you do very directly experience the impact that you're having in that realm and there's other times and places where you know, somebody might listen to this podcast, for example, and get some little gem out of it that, that made a massive difference for them. And I'll never know about that. So there's partly that's a mindset, I think, is to be oriented towards what's what's the legacy I'm leaving. You know, when I'm when I'm done, <laughs> what's what stays behind? And, and part of that impact for me is other people who are leading well um in part because of things that they've got from me for those listening i don't profess to know mike for many years but based on reading your book i think that last point around wanting to do something for others comes out quite strongly in your, your latest book i think it, it makes that point that you've got to center yourself and then get strong before you can center and help others to do the same i think it is mm. quite a 
quite a good legacy and, and um, whether it's writing a book or doing a podcast or whatever, if you can get someone to listen and just even reevaluate a thought around the, the leadership process, we've, I've, I've had a success here and hopefully people can say, hey, you know, Mike House was talking to that other bloke because the podcasts are about my guests, not about me. This isn't the leadership musings of Eric Perez because I've, I've, I'm still learning here. So um, hopefully people can draw that away and very much linked to that, Mike, is, is that idea around leader capabilities now you've hinted at a few but i'm not going to spell them out because i think i know what they might be or what look like but i want you to tell me what you think they are and again in no order of importance do you have a suite or a few or one leader capability that you think is is critical uh for effective leadership uh so i think right at the heart of it it's a capacity to engage people's hearts and minds and, you know, that's a pretty big bucket. You know, there's lots of skill sets that come into that. But, but I think that's really key. If leaders are able to, particularly when times are uncertain, if they're able to set direction, give people a sense of stability and certainty and enough clarity of direction that genuinely know where they're heading and can, and can pull effectively in the same direction, then that's just a, that's an incredible ability to have. Um, you know, we can achieve so much more with a group of people than we can as individuals, but it's a complex beast. You know, you put, you put a group of people together and there's, there's ego, there's conflict, there's different takes on what the best approach is. And, you know, we each have a, a distinctly unique view of the world based on our, on our upbringing and experience and education and all of those things come together. The culture we're from, they all come together to form a very unique view and, not so it's not just the narrative mate it's how persuasive your narrative is to get people working together is that is that what you mean in, in part? Well, look i think pers- persuasiveness is part of that but i think better than persuasion i, I don't know what you're like I've, i'm personally a little bit resistant to persuasion if i feel like i'm being persuaded my default response is you know well who put you in charge and why should i go there or, you know i'm a li- little bit rebellious like that And in fact, sometimes even when it's me telling me what to do, and I think it's a good idea, I can resist. So so I think persuasion is definitely part of it. But more than that, it's about creating alignment. So, you know, if we, you you talked, and I think maybe this conversation was offline talking about storytelling and and, uh, narrative in business. But, you know, if if you can invite people into a shared story, who are we? What are we doing? Why is it important? and create a sense of, at the very least, direction, but probably purpose and meaning as well, then along the way, people can kind of see and choose the degree to which they engage in that. So someone might grab hold of that and go, well, that's fantastic because it means I can grow and evolve. Someone else might go, well, it's just funding the lifestyle, that'll do. Somebody else might go, I can make a really meaningful contribution. You know, that that capability to enrol a group of people in a sort of shared understanding of the world and clarity of direction is is a real gift. And at one level, that's um, that's really the superpower of the human race. You know, we've, um, I don't know if you've read the book Sapiens, pretty fascinating read, but the central premise of that is really the the only thing that humans have got going for us. Now, we don't have big teeth. We don't have big claws. We're not particularly strong or fast in the animal kingdom, but the capacity to bring groups of people together around a central idea and to align tightly around that and then to execute action around that is definitely a human superpower. And good leaders both recognise that and are able to create it. 
in summary, the bringing people along for the ride is the big is the big trick. Not trick task is how do you get people along for the journey and get as invested as they want to be? Because I'm 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 forever bringing up the topic in the podcast where I can throw this one in. I think people are in jobs for very different reasons. Some people mm. go there to fulfill some time in the day. They want to be away from the kids. They want to do something with adults. They want to be productive human beings. Others fund it, do it to fund a lifestyle or everything in between. And mm. I think, I think at times leaders often make the mistake that everyone's in it for the same reasons you might be. And yep. it's re- it really isn't that. And unless, unless you're a cult like figure or you've mm. presented, um, like you said, you've uh, maybe pulled a wall over people's eyes and got them to be supportive of something that just doesn't have merit. I think mm. you can only lead to the extent that you can get people on board with a, with a direction and alignment. And then from there, hopefully people will pitch in and, and that, that, will vary over time because people leave organizations for lots of reasons and new people come come in because either they're looking for that next position or they like what they see in the business and they want to be part of it. So yeah, I think it's uh, it, like you said, the it, it's complicated. And I think that's, mm. I'm going to take something away from the podcast is none of this is easy. And if there was an easy formula for doing this, we would have it by now. And the proliferation of books and people talking about this and kind of the fact that this podcast exists suggests that we don't all have the right, uh, the, the, the answer, but we're trying to, we're trying to work on it. I guess we're trying to work on mm. ourselves as part of that process so mike uh here's here's an interesting theme and i'm, I'm mm. very curious to get your response on this nature versus nurture are leaders born or made <laughs> so what a great question and this this is a this is a debate that rages backwards and forth isn't it uh, look i th- i think that there's actually third part to that question that that's often missed in the conversation so there's there's definitely an element of nature um as with any other human attribute there's people that are born with a disposition for particular things so you know I've I've got a a young nephew who you know pretty much from the day he was born you could pretty much see that he was interested in engaging with other people in a way that they would not necessarily do what he said but certainly you know he, he he's great at mustering his peers and and sort of getting them along so i think there's definitely attributes that people are born with the nurture part of it that then comes down to the kinds of experiences that people have so you can you can learn and develop this and i think there's a bit of an element of you know you see this repeated over and over again in the athletic arena where you get people that are that are born with absolutely incredible capability, but they they in effect take it for granted. They don't really work that hard. And then someone else will come along who's not a natural athlete, but has a real passion for whatever sport they're in. And they'll work their tail off and they'll get great coaches and they'll become a world beater. And and they do it by almost force of will, you know? So So I think there's... It's a bit of both. And the third element that I reckon that's missing is, um, you know, I read some interesting stuff recently about uh, health. You know, it was talking about health and longevity and saying, you know, you've, you've clearly got a genetic code that predisposes you to certain health conditions. And then there's, you know, how you eat, how you exercise, how you sleep how much you drink, all that sort of stuff that has an impact. Um, and then the third part, that their argument was that the nurture part of that um, 
actually has about a 60-40 ratio. So the, the genetic disposition is, a, is, you know, less significant than you might think and how you nurture it is pretty important, at least in that realm. And so the third part that's missing from there is choice. So, you know, I could be predisposed to be the less, best leader on the planet, but if I make a choice not to lead, then I'm not a very good leader. And if I make a choice not to immerse myself in the best thinking and development that I can find and, and enhance my skill and learn from my mistake, then I'm not going to be a very good leader either. So, so I think choice is the element that's probably missing from that question. Um, and for me, I think the important piece here is we all lead, Eric, I reckon, um, if only at the level of leading ourselves. We all lead and that even leading ourselves takes courage. You know, how do, how do you show up in your own life? How do you, how do you decide? How do you set direction in your own existence? And potentially, even if that's where your responsibility starts and stops, even that has echoes and ripples out into the people around you, you know, at the very least your family and probably the people you work with and other people that you might encounter day to day. So I reckon we're all leaders in that regard. And it's useful if we choose to do it well. Yeah, sure. And I guess one thing with the podcast that I'm trying to address, hopefully later this year, if I can get uh, some some people that want to have a chat to me, is around leadership in the volunteer space. So it's not always about leadership in paid positions. And that seems to be what I've been doing to the moment. And I think mm. I need to extend it out. And this is, you know, you go on this learning journey. And if I'm any good at being a podcaster, you can find out where you're and make produce something better and i think uh talking to people that in the volunteer space as well as the sporting arena because one thing that's come up very clearly through most of the podcasts is sports um have been part of people initially saw their drive to be a leader or an organizer or the the person setting the agenda if you don't want to call them a leader but just uh the the person with enough nows to do that and uh, it would be interesting from my perspective to get onto the podcast coaches and uh, team captains and those that are in sporting teams but not necessarily leaders to ask, do sort of a 360 analysis. Well, you're on a team but you're not the captain or the coach. What's your view of these people? What 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 do you want to see in a leader on the field? What do you want to see as leadership from a coach? Um, because coaching is a form of mentoring but you could also call that a form of, of demonstrating leadership by demonstrating what good an effective practice looks like versus what not so great practice mm. looks like. I mean, that's why you've got a coach that mm-hmm. want to give you the, 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 the formula for success. Um, and so there, there are areas that I think I need to touch on. And, and uh, I'm more convinced of that now with this, that response to the nature, nurture and the, the choice element, because we are all human beings and we don't have to choose to be leaders. And even if you're never, never that in a formal sense, if you've got a family or you're looking after people, you're looking after elderly relatives or whatever, you're in those roles, whether you want to call it that or not, doesn't necessarily have to be driven by making a buck at the end of the day. Mike, this has been a very interesting conversation. And before I let you go, I have to ask the following. This is a bit of hindcasting on your part, if I can ask you for this last favor. Looking back on your leadership pathway, what would you tell a younger version of Mike House about being a more effective leader? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think it would come down to courage, Eric. I look back on various situations over the past and think, you know, if the times that I've acted with courage and followed an instinct and and just gone with that, it's 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 been 
usually pretty profound. And there's times where where I was younger, particularly where I would go, oh, gee, I don't know, and I'd, I'd kind of waver in my own conviction, I guess. There's something about standing in, you know, I know, well, certainly for me, when I stand in my own conviction and work from that space, that there's a there's definitely a big element of fear and doubt that comes with that and uh, for me that's part of the definition of courage you know there's there, you can't have courage without fear so in those moments where you, you where you kind of feel yourself wondering you know lean in step forward have a crack if nothing else you learn a lot and and quite often my experience is that it works out really well thank you for joining us again and i'll put a link to mike's new book unshakable the more than resilience for those listening this has been talking leadership thank you for listening and i'll catch you all on the next podcast